And this episode of Movers, Shakers, and History Makers is brought to you by Ace Beer Growlers, your one-stop shop for beer, wine, Traeger grills, and all your grilling and smoking essentials. Mention promo code podcast and get a dollar off any sauce or rub in the store. You can visit them at their location in downtown Noonan on West Court Square, directly next to Piedmont Noonan Gym. Welcome to Movers, Shakers, and History Makers, a show dedicated to all things interesting happening in your neck of the woods, especially if your neck of the woods primarily consists of Coweta County. It's a place for showcasing stories and newsmakers from the past and present. I'm your host, Clay Neely, and for our debut episode, what better way to talk about history makers than the story of Gandy Glover? For those of you who may not know about Gandy, he was one of a kind, to say the least. Gandy was a top-performing real estate agent in Coweta County for most of his career, but he also served as a two-term mayor of Noonan. Most may remember him as an avid outdoorsman who eventually found his way down to the Florida Keys to try his hand as a fishing guide before his untimely passing in 2011. Chances are, if you talk to someone who's lived in Noonan for an extended period of time, they probably have a Gandy story. Now, unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to meet Gandy, but I've had the chance to hear some amazing stories from those who knew him and loved him. So when I started asking around to see if folks might want to share him, I was pleasantly surprised how many people said yes. So for our first episode of Movers, Shakers, and History Makers, I'll be talking to Frank Barron. Frank really needs no introduction himself, a lifelong resident of Noonan. Frank worked alongside Gandy for over 35 years at Lindsay's Real Estate and has amassed a lifetime of amazing adventures with Gandy. Frank was kind enough to come over and share some of his favorites, and I couldn't be happier to begin our podcast series with a variety of Gandy stories told by Frank. Now, I'm not doing much talking in this episode, and you'll probably see why. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Movers, Shakers, and History Makers. I hope you learn a little and laugh a lot. I sure did. So without any further ado, here's Frank Barron. Well... One thing I'm going to start with you, we talked about last time. Can right. you just give people just a basic who, yeah. who, who he was, essentially? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, well, he's been many things. Oh, yeah, he's right. He's been a lot of things. <laughs> he, he, of course, he, he grew up in the same neighborhood as we did over yeah. in Featherston Heights and Rockingwood. And his brother Taylor and I were the same age. And Gandy was older, of course. But we always kind of admired him because he was always doing kind of outlandish things. And everybody just kind of stood in awe of him because of all the outlandish things that he would do. Yeah. He was trapped in the creek, you know, by the house and all of those sort of things, even when we were younger. And we just thought that was unreal. But uh, we grew up to uh, work with him. I came back after college and started working with him in 1973, worked with him for about 35 years. And just the, the tales that I know are just unbelievable. But what's more unbelievable would be what we don't know because right, there's right. no telling what all he did that nobody ever knew about. But. Uh, we've been through a lot of the stories. I don't know yeah. if you want me to repeat some of sure, those yeah. or, or not. Or I've got some more stories oh, too. I can tell you, that's great. Tell, tell you about too. But, well, I mean, considering you, you've known him your whole life, uh, but you right. went to work with him professionally in '73. Mm-hmm. Did y'all initially bond over anything like hunting or anything? Yeah, like hunting that? was the biggest okay. thing that we had in common. Of course, working together too. But uh, we hunted every day uh, that hunting season was in just about. We had a lot of different places. We'd go duck hunting just about every morning. That was our biggest passion at that time was the duck hunting. And we had a lot of different places because they didn't have all the deer leases and everything then. And 
most of the timber companies, particularly Georgia Craft, we knew those people, and we'd gotten permission to, from them to hunt on their land, and they own land all over the county. Yeah. And uh, so we could go just about any way we wanted to. In fact, we got a, a lady pilot, Denise Blankenship. She was one of the first lady pilots, but she carried us up and flew us around so we could see where all the beaver ponds were, and then we'd figure out on a map how to get back to them. Oh, and, wow. and so uh, she really helped us be able to find uh, places to hunt. So we went to the extremes to try to find the best places to hunt and how to get back in there and get permission to be there and that sort of thing. Yeah. But just a lot of you know crazy stories with, with hunting and all. Uh, too, and I think I told you a couple of them about the trip to Iowa. We yeah. went up there for about 20 years in a row, and uh, we started out going up there with Mr. Henry Jensen, uh, and he had family farms up there, and we hunted on those. Then he introduced us to some of their neighbors, and we got to be friends and went back year after year. And of course, Gandy would bait them up during the winter time. He'd send them uh, pecans and things, and at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and all of that, and uh, so that they'd remember him when we came back and want permission to hunt again, then he would have sent them something during the year. So he was real good at uh, getting in with people, had a good gift of gab and, and that sort of thing, and yeah. knew how to get in with folks. But um, one of the funniest stories to me was when we were up there, uh, we'd always go by uh, uh, Kmart. It didn't really have Walmarts back then but when we started, but we'd go by Kmart to get our hunting license and shells, and we pulled in the place and always had to drive because generally Gandy was drinking, so I'd be the one that'd have to drive. So anyway, we pulled in the parking lot, and there's this girl standing on the corner, and uh, she said, slow down, slow down. She looks pretty good. I said, Gandy, you got to be kidding. He said, no, no, let me out, let me out, let me out. So he lets, uh, gets out of the car and goes up there and gets with her, and I said, well, I'm going on to get our license and shells. And back in those days, you could buy other people's licenses and that sort of thing, so I'd go get the licenses and shells, and when I came back he had this girl sitting in the front seat with us in this truck that we had rented and um so we go back to the hotel motel and of course he goes to his room and the girl goes with him and i go to my room well the next morning we get up and he spent the night with this girl and i said well where's irene and he says oh she's still in the room i said you got to be kidding i said she's gonna steal you blind he said oh no she loves me after one night she loves me so uh, anyway, uh, we hunt all day and everything, come back, and uh, I just was fixing to get into the shower when I heard this rap, rap, rap on the little uh, aluminum door on the motel, and he's standing there with his shoulders shrugged and everything and says, you were right. I said, what do you mean? She said, she stole everything I got. said, everything's gone. So the only thing he had was the clothes on his back. That's, that's all he had. So we had to go back to Kmart and buy uh, yeah. hunting clothes and all that stuff again for him to be able to hunt the next day and didn't he try to file like like insurance with well that? he filed insurance claim on it and when we got back a week or two after we got back um guy arnold calls me and says frank said gandy's telling this story about y'all getting robbed while y'all were up there in iowa and i told him word for word exactly what happened it was quiet for a minute and then he said i can believe that he paid the claim because <laughs> he was that big a character it wasn't, wasn't an unbelievable story and it was the truth is exactly what had happened i am well, also, too, I think you mentioned, was was the dog that got with the skunk? Oh, yeah, the dog, we, we, we carried his dog. He always had a good hunting dog, and um, he had a really great dog just, uh, that was named Pride. That was the first hunting dog we had, and that dog came from South Georgia. That dog was trained. That dog was unbelievably good. And later on, he had a dog named Ben, and we went up there with Ben, 
and we'd been on the plane all this time and everything got off we'd been driving about two hours from the airport to where we were going to stay and hunt and the dog needs to go to the bathroom so he lets the dog out of the uh, vehicle and goes down in the ditch and goes in a culvert and comes running back out there and comes and jumps back up in the cab with us and the bad news was is skunk had got him while he was in the culvert and of course the odor was just horrific mm. and he ro- he was rolling around on the back seat trying to get the smell off of him and of course it <laughs> stunk the whole place up and so we had to ride around with the windows down in 20 degree weather the whole time we were there because we couldn't stand it with the windows up uh, the skunk smell was so bad we actually went and bought i remember six uh cans of lysol spray and saturated the seat with them but it didn't do any good no. it still it still uh-huh. stunk we couldn't get rid of that skunk smell uh so that was one of the hunting episodes uh that happened up in Iowa. we had a lot of good times up there we went up there for about 20 years in a row okay uh, hunted up there in Iowa, pheasant hunting pheasant hunting yeah mm-hmm. And uh, so it sounds like he made pretty good connections up there with people. We did, and it was unbelievable. Those people were so nice that they'd, all you had to do really is just ask, and most of the time they'd let you go, or they'd have a good excuse like my son's off at college, he's coming home at Thanksgiving, and I want to save the birds for him. So, yeah. I mean, we always respected people like that, but uh, Gandy had a way of getting in, and like I say, he would get their names and addresses and keep a book on it, and then when came around for Thanksgiving and Christmas, he'd send them something with his card in there so they would remember, and uh, we'd, we'd go back up there the next year. They remember, oh yeah, that little mayor from Newton said we're gonna let him hunt. So uh, it got to be a special thing. <laughs> and uh, well, one thing I was gonna ask about too was um, I think it was down on the, some of the things that happened on the river. Oh yeah, yeah. the river was one of Gandy's favorite haunts. He loved to go down there, and his hero was Junior Arrington. And mm-hmm. Junior Arrington uh, was a mountain of a man. Uh, Junior's arms were bigger than my thighs, and. His arms were so big, he had to cut the sleeves out of all of his shirts and uh, he just barely get his arms out of his sleeves that way. But he was about 6'4", 5", and probably 350 or 60, uh, somewhere in that range. He actually wrestled on Live Atlanta Wrestling back in the day. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he okay. was a wrestler on Live Atlanta Wrestling, too. <laughs> but uh, Junior, we have a lot of stories with Junior, and one of them was that uh, Junior had been watching this pay dove shoot field, and it had a lot of birds, and so... He had all of us that he wanted to hunt to uh, come show up early to that hunt. Back in those days, dove season didn't open till noon, so you had to wait till noon. But Junior had us there about out there at eight o'clock in the morning, holding our spots on the dove field. And uh, I remember Junior been watching it, and we were all in this certain area and everything. And everybody had gotten there in plenty of time, and it built uh, blinds and everything. And the only thing you could see uh, Junior was the top of his hat sticking up over the blind. Well, right before 12 o'clock, this red, shiny pickup truck with a Fulton County tag on it pulls up and starts unloading his stuff. And Junior's sitting over there in the bushes, and you couldn't see him, couldn't see how big he was or anything. This guy's putting his stuff out, and and, uh, Junior hollers out and says, I hope you don't think you're going to hunt right there. And the guy said he paid his $20, Mm -hmm. and he was going to hunt wherever he wanted to. And uh, Junior walks, stands up, starts walking to him, doing his arms like this. And he says, fella, there's two things I like to do is to uh, fight and shoot doves. And it doesn't matter to me which one we do today, but you ain't hunting right here. So the guy pulls all this. Once he sees Junior coming towards him like that, he did the smart thing. He packed all this stuff up and left. As soon as things settled back down again, Gandy hollered out, sitting over there probably about 135 pounds, ringing wet, and says, Junior, you wouldn't have talked to him like that if I hadn't have been here to back you up. I mean, that's just how crazy <laughs> stuff they said all the time. It was it was hilarious going back and forth between them all the time. Gandy even ended up uh, preaching Junior's funeral. Oh, I by know the way. that. 
Yeah, Gandy was not a preacher, but uh, he, the Junior had asked him to preach his funeral, and Gandy had some verses of Scripture he read and everything, but the bad thing Gandy did is, of course, all the family and friends and children and everybody else, well, Gandy starts telling all the bad stories he knew of oh Junior at the gosh. funeral. And there was a lot of stuff that shouldn't have been repeated. Of course, I'm sure. <laughs> stuff that had been denied and settled and everything else. And again, they opened up all those fresh rooms at the funeral. So that turned out not to be so good. And of course, all the family and children and everybody else were just horrified at all these things that uh, Gandy was telling about. But Gandy got a big kick out of it, so I think he enjoyed it. Did he officiate anything else over? Yeah, uh, that's the only thing I know of. That's the only funeral I ever know of. And I think after that, <laughs> nobody else would take a chance. I, I, I don't think anybody else wanted Gandy to be telling stories. Oh, my on. gosh. Well, I didn't know about that. Um, <laughs> and then what, what happened over on the river with the shoals and the chat? Was something about the rocks or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Gandy, uh, Junior and Gandy stayed on the river all the time. So Junior knew where all the rocks were. And he'd see a boat coming down through the river and... and uh, Junior would out, watch this, said, just a minute, he's fixing to lose his motor. And sure enough, boom, he'd, he'd hit a rock out there. Uh, Junior knew where all the rocks were, and of course, other people didn't. It looked, one stretch of water looked like any other stretch of yeah. water, but people would tear up the boats and things, and Junior knew about it. But another time, they were down there fishing. We were, well, actually, I was with them then. We were down there fishing, and we were catching fish like crazy. And Junior's sister, Jeanette, was sitting over on the bike, and she was catching fish like crazy. Well, this brand-new bass boat pulls up right between us and starts catching fish. And, of course, it makes it where uh, Jeanette can't throw out anymore because the boat's sitting right where she was catching her fish. So we're just sitting right on the other side of them. All three of us can see each other and hear everything that's going on. And Jeanette hollers out, Junior, make him move. He's sitting right in my fishing hole. And Junior's over there whining fishes. She can't do it right now, Jeanette, said, we kept winding in fish. Said, I tell you what you do, though. Get up off that five-gallon bucket you got there and go on up on the hill and fill it up with rocks and come back and start throwing them. He'll move. So, sure enough, she gets up off a bucket and goes on the hill, and you could hear her throwing the rocks in the bucket. But by the time she started back down the hill, this bass boat takes off and leaves. <laughs> Junior solved the whole problem, and nobody had to move. <laughs> so, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about, because I remember something about the uh, – it was another day of great fishing. Right. And then we said, we're going to do, we take him, take him. Yeah. This was well, what, mayor, what happened right? was, yeah, yeah. Gandy <laughs> was running for mayor. And, and uh, we decided one of the things that might help him get elected mayor was if we gave fish away. So Junior calls up Gandy and says, I tell you what you do. Said, you get old Frank Barron and said, y'all come down there. Said, we'll catch all the fish you want. So we went down there and we carried six five-gallon buckets with them. We thought, well, that would be plenty of fish. And so ain't no way we're going to catch that many. So we go down there, and, and we start catching crappie. And Junior had rods rig, rigged up with us. We had three crappie jigs on there at a time. So every time we were throwing out, we were each winding in three crappie at a time. And these were nice, big crappie. Junior knew exactly where they were in the shoals. They were making a spawning run out of West Point Lake up the river. And he was the only one that knew exactly where to get, but he'd be right there on top of it. When he called, we dropped whatever we were yeah. doing and went. Oh, yeah. But anyway, we caught so many fish, the bottom of the boat was filling. By the way, Junior made these boats. He handmade these wooden boats and uh, could do them all, and he'd nail them so tight and all. They hardly needed any tar or anything. He, the swelling of the wood would make the boats airtight, watertight. Holy cow. So anyway, uh, we were in that boat and filled it up with fish and everything. We said, well, what are we going to do now? Well, all our buckets are full and all these fish are still in the bottom of the boat. What are we going to do? He said, I tell you what, I just bought a new refrigerator. I said the box is still on the back porch. Go up and get that box and bring it down here, and we'll fill that box up. So we bring a refrigerator box down there, and start dumping five gallon bucketfuls of fish in the back of that truck on into the refrigerator box. 
And sure enough, we fill that refrigerator box up till it's about halfway full. So we go over and ride through Newland, hollering out, come get your fish and vote for Gandy Glover for mayor. And people were coming out of the houses with pans and pails and buckets, and we were giving them fish and saying, now, Deruba, now you got to vote for Gandy Glover. So I don't know if that swung the tide or not, but I think it helped him a lot. Well, well yeah, I mean, because I think, didn't you say that was his first time running and he beat Joe Norman? Yeah, Joe Norman, who, who was a 24-year uh, veteran, yeah. and, and Gandy beat him the first time. So the fish may have been the difference. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, during his time as mayor, what are some of the things that kind of stick out to you? I've, you know, hopefully, yeah. you know. Yeah, Gandy ran as a platform uh, of two or three things. One is they had a pigeon problem downtown, and the city in was about to pass a proposal to spend like twenty five hundred dollars to poison the pigeons. And of course, that met with a lot of opposition because people didn't want them poison the pigeons, afraid it's going to poison. Uh, pets and other things so and a lot of people just didn't like the point that they were going to poison them so anyway Gandy came up with the idea that he would shoot them all if they'd buy the bullets he'd he'd shoot them all and what he did he'd ride around with his Cadillac that had a moonroof on it and that thing would go and when to go back and you see a barrel stick out of the thing and he'd shoot them off the courthouse or off the buildings around town and these pigeons would come just falling down to the ground and that sort of thing so Gandy was going to eliminate the pigeon problem and he did a pretty good job of it. He pretty well got rid of them there for a while. But that was one of his platforms. Another platform, since he and Joe Norman had gotten kind of angry with each other, he had decided he was going to remove this stop sign. Joe Norman had put a stop sign over on First Avenue where Fifth Street uh, came in, and he lived over there on Fifth Street. So mm-hmm. he just would um, save him having to wait to pull out. He had a stop sign there that traffic would have to stop. Well, again, he got rid of that stop sign. I remember that was the second uh, you know, one of his uh, pillars of his campaign. So he didn't have a lot of things, but those were two of them that I remember. One was the pigeon problem, and the other one was he wanted to remove that stop sign. And I think that really was just to poke at Joe more than sure. anything else. <laughs> and so, let's but see. they got in a fist fight too. I don't know if you I knew know, about that. No, uh-uh. <laughs> well, it's reported, and I, I didn't see this, but I was told. Uh, and people started t- telling me that uh, after the election and everything that Joe was mad about it and everything. And Gandy and, and Joe had had some words, and um, you know, so it wasn't a good situation. But was it a, oh, a campaign? Was yeah, it kinda... campaign thing got kind of hot with yeah. each other and that sort of thing. So anyway, supposedly uh, uh, j- uh, people came up to me and said, "You need to tell Gandy that Joe Norman's going to get him." It says he's going to whip his ass, mm-hmm. basically. So um, I told him, I said, well, I put my money on Gandy. He said, what are you talking about? Joe's a big fella and Gandy's a little old wormy thing. And I said, yeah, but one thing I know about Gandy, he's not going to fight fair. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he, he, sure enough, he had a pistol in his back pocket the whole time. So he wasn't thinking about getting into a fist fight. He was going to end it right quick. <laughs> but they were up on the court square, and, and supposedly uh, Robert Davenport saw it happen. But anyway, they got into a fisticuff there on the court square. This is a old mayor and the new mayor and i don't think many people know about that but they got in a fisticuff on the court square and again but gandy handled it right yeah. uh joe did uh knock him down and so joe won the fight but gandy got up and laughed about it and uh so you know that was as far as it went so All right uh so he handled it well so i had to give gandy <laughs> a plus on that and so in term when he was a mayor would you say i mean was he there for about two terms was that about he right? went two terms okay. that's right and uh, supposedly when he got beat by keith brady he came up to keith after the 
election and said, don't get too close. I might kiss you on the lips. He was so happy not to be mayor again. <laughs> so, it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, that's right. All right. Well, was that campaign okay in terms yeah, of Yeah, that, that, that was fine. I don't, yeah. As far as I know, I never knew there was any problem with that. Uh, and Keith, of course, has wow. done a really good job as, as mayor, too. You think about it, we, we've only had how many mayors? Well, see, I, mean, I think Keith's been it since then. Yeah. So we hadn't had that many mayors in the last few years, incredible. that's for sure. Yeah. Keith's made a long run of it, and Joe made a real long run of mayor, too. Yeah. Joe did a good job, too. Joe did a real good job. Oh, just, yeah. Again, it's just such a odd personality that he and Joe couldn't get along, I think. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to bring you a word from our sponsor. Folks, Ace Beer Growlers is Coweta's most extensive dealer for Traeger Wood Fire Grills. And if you'd rather spend more of your time with your family instead of over the grill, take advantage of wood fire technology from Traeger today. It's as easy as set it and forget it. And now back to our podcast. Well, um, one thing I was definitely going to ask you about, because this is one of my favorite ones, is the, the Cadillac as the uh, hunting car. Can oh, you yeah. tell me the genesis of that? Yeah. Gandy <laughs> always liked to have a big car, Cadillacs especially, and... Uh, but he just abused them terribly. He would drive them anywhere, uh, right out to the hunting land and, and all that sort of thing. But he he got a Cadillac and tried it out and he, from the dealership and made the guy go with him because the guy said he had to go with him. But they went all the way out to Blaylocks and drove two or three miles back on dirt roads to get back over there to the hunting land. He wanted to be sure that the Cadillac would make it before he bought it. So sure enough, they go back in there and the guy's just horrified that he's tearing up this car going through all these mud and <laughs> bad ruts and everything else and they get over there and everything again he said that's fine it'll do it so he went on and bought it well it wasn't much longer than that we were out previewing with our agents and lorraine baggett was one of our agents and supposedly she went to the cadillac dealership and it said she wanted a four-wheel drive cadillac and they said ma'am we don't make a four-wheel drive cadillac that was before escalades and all those things where they do have four-wheel drive but she said, oh, yeah, they do. Gandy Glover's got one. I just rode in one. So she almost sold the car for the Cadillac folks uh, based on Gandy's uh, car, the way he used the Cadillac. And what modifications did he do to that one? Well, he'd always put four-wheel drive, I mean, uh, mud grips on his uh, uh, rear tires, so he always had good pulling rear tires. And I mean, and he, where would the, the, the deer go? Just in the trunk? Oh, uh, yeah, just throw them in the trunk, and that's a story in itself, but... <laughs> All these deer that he was killing back in those days, he'd just throw them in the trunk. And the bad news was a lot of that blood would drain down into the wheel well. So when he got ready to trade that car, nobody would take the thing because it stunk so bad because all that coagulated blood was down in the uh, wheel wells, and it was just horrible. Uh, he threw some deer in there that he thought were dead and ended up flopping around in there and had to open the trunk and here comes the deer out of there. And, what? I mean, there are wild stories like that all the time that stuff like that happened to him. That he <laughs> thought they were dead and they came back to life and jumped out of the trunk when he opened it. Well, what about the time um, you talked about before where, was it a some sort of meeting at Noonan Utilities Cabin? Yep. Again, I wasn't at this one either, but I was told <laughs> that uh, they were sitting there and they, they were at the water light cabin and there's a big picture window or whatever where you could see outside and everybody was talking about city business and and i think they were even maybe entertaining a prospect for industry uh to come and that sort of thing but it was pretty boring again so he got bored with he sees these three deer walk up out there uh while they're sitting there in the room well he just excuses himself and goes out the back throws up the top of his trunk pulls up his gun and shoots the three deer goes over there drags them over there throws them in the trunk shuts the trunk, goes back in and sits down in the meeting just like nothing had happened. And all these people are just appalled that here's the mayor of this city that's gone out there and killed these three deer 
right there where all the meeting was going on, you know, and they just had like you. nothing to it, you know. And of course, I understood that the prospect didn't think too much of it either. <laughs> <laughs> so they were able just to watch this whole thing play out, and right? It just comes right back down. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so when when they, how long did he have that Cadillac? Well, he had different ones. Okay. Uh, he'd buy them pretty regular, and he had to because you couldn't you couldn't drive them forever. Number one, they'd be smelling too bad, ah. and number two, you're so hard and abusive on them. Plus, yeah. Andy liked to have a nice car. Okay. I give him that. He always had a nice car. Man, so how did they? Because did he ever try to trade them in or anything? Yeah, when he tried to trade them in, they wouldn't take him. Everybody, all the dealers were aware of him. So what they had to do is carry him up there to the auction place and they'd sell him up there at the auction. Somebody buy him that didn't have any idea of what those cars had been through. Oh my gosh! Well, um, I, one thing I was going to ask you about was his his move down to kind of Key West. What what prompted that move, and what did he? Believe? Yeah, I think Gandhi sort of went through a, a midlife crisis, if you will, and decided he wanted to go to Key West and. He went down there, and he liked what he saw, and he wanted to get involved in it. So he ended up getting his own uh, boat, and he bought a little place for him to stay down there and that sort of thing. He started going down there, and he'd sometimes spend the whole summer uh, down there in Key West and uh, ended up developing quite a reputation and everything for that. And unbeknownst to me, I found out later that uh, he was whenever he did something bad, he'd tell him his name was Frank Barron. But <laughs> So... He was, when I went down there, he asked me to come down there and go fishing with him and visit him and everything. We're going this one place, and he says, now, when people come up to me, they ask about Frank Barron, they're going to be talking to me, not you. I said, what? He said, yeah. I said, I'm Frank Barron here. So, anyway, that was very odd. That raised any red flags No, all, that I'm was sure. very odd. But I have to tell you about the story that came back for that. Uh, he got me six months after he was dead. I got this phone call from uh, uh, Captain Henderson with the Key West Coast Guard, and he said, Mr. Barron, we found your boat. I thought a minute, and finally I just came to myself, and I said, I don't have a boat. He said, yeah, you do. He said, we found it. It's got your name. It's registered in your name, Frank Barron. And I said, let me, th I thought about it another minute, too, and I said, what is the name of that boat? And he said, the Scooby-Doo. I said, let me tell you about the Scooby-Doo. The Scooby-Doo was the 30-foot boat he ended up buying, a Grady White, a really nice boat. But the thing about it was... Uh, he had never taken it out of my name. He bought it in the name of Frank Barron. So after he died, evidently he had sold the boat or something to somebody, given it to somebody or something. I'm not sure exactly what happened to it. But anyway, this boat got loose down there at Key West and was floating around. And when they found it, the only name that it was still registered in was my name. So I, I, I said, i tell you how you can solve this case. And they said, how is that? And I said, if you'll go in any bar or, or, or place like that down there in Key West... Um, and just say, ask for either Gandy Glover or Frank Barron. Does anybody know Frank Barron or Gandy Glover? And I said, they, they can tell you exactly what he did with that boat. So anyway, a couple of weeks later, they, they thanked me, of course, at that time. Then a couple of weeks later, I get another call. Same guy. He says, this is Sergeant Henderson with the Key West Coast Guard and said, I just had to call you back. He said, we all thought that was the funniest thing. You tell us that we could go any bar down there and, and probably find out who Gandy sold the boat to and who actually owned it now and that sort of thing. said, the second place we went into, they knew the whole story. said, we just wanted to thank you for solving that case. said, we didn't have any idea how we were going to find out whose boat this was no, now. Uh -uh. Uh, but uh, thanks to his reputation, it was easy to find. So did you ever go down there while he was a guide? 
I, I went with him one time. Like I said, I went down. He asked me to come in there and fish with him. And I think yeah. right when he was starting out, I think I was sort of the uh, trial, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, guinea pig to see how it went and everything. Mm-hmm. We actually caught some fish. I remember we caught about a 30-something pound uh, dolphin. And we caught, I think it was 42 uh, uh, yellow snapper. Mm-hmm. And we put all those fish in a cooler and brought them back. And we were supposed to be on our plane, and we were pushing it right to the limit. But Gandy had to sell those fish. He wanted to get the money for those fish. I think he wanted to prove he could make it as a guide. So he, uh, uh, we took those fish by this fish market and sold those fish, and he made a good bit of money on it. So I think that helped him to decide that that was a way maybe he could make a living was nice. catching fish and selling them and getting people to pay him to to uh, ride but we ended up having to run through the airport like the classes they had just flying down through there and <laughs> last minute get on the plane and that sort of thing so but that's just typical when you yeah. go with gandy that's the way it was well it sounded like he would he was probably a good fit to be a, a oh yeah guy. I mean, you know the, especially <laughs> I, if you had no, no idea who the guy was <laughs> and then you're you're on a boat with them and you're like this is different <laughs> i remember this he, we, we were out there he had of course all this electronic equipment and everything which would get you to a point to fish mm-hmm. and where the reefs were and those sort of things but we'd been going for several hours out through there uh and you couldn't see land in any direction he cuts the motor off and says now which way is it back home you know and i thought my lord again i don't have a clue and i looked around looked around and finally i said i believe it's this way and he said well, if you do that in about three hours you'll be in cuba <laughs> So we, if that electronic, if something happened to that, we'd have been lost. You bet. Holy cow. Yeah, that's way before smartphones and all that oh, jazz, yeah. man. That's oh, right. my gosh. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I forgot to ask you about, and I think that's one of his better-known stories here, is can you tell me about the, the burglar alarm? Okay. I mean, right. that, yeah, a lot of people know about that story. Uh, I've forgotten which holiday it was, but it was a holiday, and the burglar alarm down at the chiropractic clinic went off, and it was ringing like crazy. And he called me uh Right before supper time, and said, said, this alarm's going off, and said, it's keeping everybody up, and said, I'm just not going to put up with it any longer. I'm going to take care of it. I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to get something to eat, and when I come back, if that thing's still ringing, I'm fixing to shoot it off. I said, oh, Gandy, you don't want to do that. He said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So anyway, he lived on Temple Avenue, number 10 Temple Avenue, and the Bergen Lawn was right down there at the corner of Jackson and Powell. And uh, so... He walks down there, and uh, things still going off. Well, he fires one shot and knocks it off the wall, but it didn't stop it from ringing. It was still hanging Just on by dangling. the wire, so it's still ringing, so he has to shoot it a second time. Well, as luck would have it, there's a policeman over on Jefferson Street that hears all this going on and sees this guy dressed in black running back up through the street there from the, uh, the scene. Yeah. So he follows him up there, and on the way back, Gandy sees the cop car coming after him, so he throws the shotgun down and runs on in the house. Well, the policeman comes to the door, knocks on the door, and Gandy comes to the door rubbing his eyes like he's been asleep or something. The guy was waking him up. Well, anyhow, the, the, the cop wanted to know, did he know anything about that shooting down there? And Gandy says, no, I don't know anything about that shooting. He said, can you explain to me why I saw somebody running from the scene up to your house and go in the front door? And then I saw you throw down something. I went over there and picked up the shotgun. It's got your name on it. The, the city had given him a shotgun to, in his retirement from mayor <laughs> and had his name on it, Mayor Gandy Glover. So there wasn't any doubt that it was him and his shotgun. And I think they ended up having to pay a fine or something. But it was a big to-do about it at the time. But a lot of the neighbors around there were really grateful to Gandy for having getting that alarm off because yeah. at least they got to sleep the rest oh, of the yeah. weekend. I mean, he's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
some of the things I, I obviously have some new stuff. I was going to see what you had in terms of uh, some stuff we didn't talk about last time. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things, of course, we talked about Junior's funeral. Uh, didn't go in a lot of detail on that, but with people still alive, it may be better not to go into a sure, lot sure. of details on some of the activities <laughs> there. Uh, one of his favorite times was Halloween. Uh, of course, being a character, uh, Gandy loved Halloween. He'd have a big display and everything. But one of the things he did is that he would hide in the bushes. He'd have Becky or Debbie or somebody greet the door and give out the candy and everything. And then all of a sudden in the bushes, he'd hear this chainsaw crank up, you know, or he'd have a hose hooked up and he'd turn the hose on and start spraying them down on the porch and that sort of thing. So it got where kids were terrified to go over there and then the older kids were kind of just enthralled with it going over there, the thrill of it, just to, to see, what, see what would happen because you never knew what again it would do. But those are two things that I know he did. He'd crank up a chainsaw and scare them all to death like he's going to saw them all up. And the other thing was he'd sweat them down with a hose. So Halloween Halloween was a big time for him. And then you and I uh, talked just a minute ago a little bit about Forrest Gump. Yeah. When the movie Forrest Gump came out, I went and saw it, and I thought this is the greatest movie, and I could just see Gandy in that movie, a lot of the things he was doing. So I told Gandy to go see it, and Gandy went to see it, and he just became enthralled with it and just sort of adopted the mm-hmm. personality of Forrest Gump. He'd go around wearing those uh, rubber boots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up to his knees and and uh, shorts and those on and everything just kind of looked comical. But he did, did that for a couple of years there. He just really adopted the Forrest Gump character and really enjoyed all the uh, things like that and tried to uh, play on that some. Yeah. So that was a good thing. Uh, and then, let's see, I was thinking of another thing was just so many little things. Like yeah. at our office one time, we had a fellow named David McMichael that worked for us. Super nice guy, the nicest guy you could think of. Well, anyway, uh, Gandy liked to irritate him because he had a temper a little bit, and so Gandy would do things that would get under his skin and everything. Well, Gandy, while I was gone out of town one time, Gandy got the girls to type up a letter on my letterhead to David McMichael saying, uh, David, we enjoy having you and everything, but said, we're going to have to get you to change your name. Said, Gandy can't remember your name. Said, he calls him David Carmichael all the time instead of David McMichael. He called him David Carmichael. So, said, since Gandy can't remember your name as David McMichael, we want you to change your name to David Carmichael so Gandy can keep up with your name. Well, David came in there just in sense with me that I would write such a letter. Of course, I didn't have anything to do about it, knew anything about it, was out of town when it happened, you know, but... Anyway, that's just the sort of little thing he liked to do. He liked to uh, yeah. needle people and, and seemed to enjoy uh, getting under people's skin sometimes. Well, Frank Barrett is his alter ego. So, oh, I mean, yeah. It's not that's too right. far removed. I mean. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's great. And um, and one thing I was going to ask you about was, I think it was over, did he have a property over at Winds Pond? Hey, well, he had a, uh, his family had a cabin over there okay. at Winds Pond. He did a lot of crazy things out there. And one of the things was they put him in charge of lowering the pond. And they were supposed to lower it just a certain amount. Well, Gandy thought if a little bit was good, a lot would be even better. So he opens the gate all the way and drains the pond completely. So all the fish that they had for all these years and everything were all down down the creek. And the pond's completely dry. you got all this mud out there now. It used to be pretty water and everything. Oh, my gosh. I- and so anyway, uh, it, they, I think they took away that job from him because <laughs> he, he overdid it on that. But. He was a great character, and he loved a lot of the uh, fishing and hunting and all of that out there at Winds Pond, the people at Winds Pond. Yeah. 
And as far as as a real estate agent, I mean, he worked there for thirty five years. Yeah, he, I mean, he was he was a top agent for a long time. Yeah. He, like I say, he had a really good gift of gab. Yeah, uh, he could really get in with people. He was knowledgeable. Uh, he didn't mind getting out and walking and mm-hmm. finding the corners of the property and see. How, uh, he would go ahead of time a lot of times and kind of scout it out to be sure what to show somebody and point out the good points and that sort of thing. So he was a really good salesman for a long time and it was a good association. Uh, you know, until toward the end, and then it just kind of deteriorated. But at that time, I think he had some uh, problems, yeah. more so than that, anyway. Well, one story that you said I thought was particularly poignant was even at the end, you had that um, that chance to reconnect with him before we he died, did. which I think yeah. a lot of people I actually ended had. up having to fire Gandy, which was one of the tougher things <laughs> I've had to do in my life. But I, at the time, I knew it was the right thing to do. Gandy had gotten to be drinking a good bit, and uh, he was coming to work uh, drinking and that sort of thing. And I had warned him several times that he needed to stop that, that it was a liability for him, and it was a liability for us that he would have an accident or something when he was out showing property that we could be liable for his actions, and I just couldn't afford that. And then he and Tom, my nephew, got in a squabble, and uh, he threatened Tom and... um, I called him in the office and told him that we just couldn't have that. We couldn't have one person in our office threatening somebody else in our office, at least of all my nephew. So I explained that to him and everything. He said he wasn't going to apologize and that it wasn't a threat, that it was a promise and all of this. And so I reminded him, I said, Gandy, we've been friends for 35 years and you've been with us a long time. You've been a valued employee and all this. But I said, if you don't apologize, uh, you know, I'm going to give you one more chance just because we've been such good friends and everything. And he said, well, I'm not apologizing. I said, well, then you're fired. And he just couldn't believe it. He he just, you know, had always kind of done whatever he wanted to do and mm-hmm. thought that he was above, uh, you know, the, the rules for everybody else and that sort of thing. And to a large degree, he was. He was bigger than life and all those things. But yeah. ended up having to fire him and actually couldn't get him to leave and had to pay uh, Jasper Gibbs, our maintenance man, to pack him up and move him out. So, uh, And so I was glad that. Uh, he went and worked uh, other companies and other real estate uh, companies here, and uh, we were apart for about three or four years. And uh, I had heard that he was uh, kind of really depressed and down, and uh, something just led me to go see him. And I went in and saw him, sat down in the uh, bedroom with him and talked to him uh, about it. And we were able to make up, and we ended up on a good note. And uh, I certainly had no hard feelings for him, and uh, I was told by uh, one of the people he uh, was dating at the time that he felt the same way that he was glad that we had that talk and that we ended up on good terms and I, w- I was as well I know he's touched probably you know hundreds of people in the in this community That's just throughout right. his life and I mean like everybody's got stories I yeah. mean everybody if you have, if you ever were around him you have yeah. a story about him I mean he was just that uh, outlandish you yeah know, he, he, and he worked at it yeah. I mean he was a character by nature but he worked to being a character too. And, he, and he didn't really apparently care too much I mean he, uh, it, he, he knew who he was well, and he that's was not it. Apologize he didn't care what it. somebody thought yeah. no, he didn't, it, that didn't bother him at all he 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 was Gandy Glover and he was who he was and you know if you liked him fine if you didn't like him fine it was, it was alright <laughs> suits him <laughs> the same way <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I want to thank you again for coming over oh, here yes, and sharing sir. stuff no with problem. me. I love these stories, and I, I know everyone else will, too. Uh, so, yeah, we appreciate it. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, good luck. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 
Well, there you have it. It's a handful of Gandhi stories told by Mr. Frank Barron, who has already promised to come back with several more, so we're lucky for that, and we're definitely looking forward to it. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Mover Shakers and History Makers, and hope you'll come back for more. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel, and be sure to visit our sponsor, Ace Beer Growlers, your source for Rockwood Lump Charcoal, cast iron skillets from Smithy Ironware, along with a variety of beers, wines, rubs, and cigars. Mention promo code PODCAST and get a dollar off any sauce or rub in the store. You can visit their location on the West Court Square right next to Piedmont Noonan Gym. So thanks again for listening, and we hope to catch you again next time. Take care.